Well, good morning everybody and welcome to Gateway. We're glad that you're here with us this morning, especially if it's your first time. Hey, we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. It looks like most of our uh, students got the message, but our slide is missing. So if you are a student grades 6 through 12 uh, and you haven't left yet, leave. uh, You can uh, go back to the student room. Uh, at this time. Anybody else that wants to leave, this would be, you can do that now. Uh, hey, uh, we're glad that all of you are here with us <laughs> this morning. <laughs> Bye, Taylor. Uh, hey, uh, last week, you know, the weather, uh, well, it eventually came, but uh, we, you know, you might have missed out because you stayed home because of the weather. We only had the one service. I know a lot of y'all have been sick, and uh, and so uh, maybe that's why you missed, and maybe you still are. So if you're here this morning, uh, joining us in person, that maybe you still are and you're at home, I guess would be what I would say. Uh, but uh, if you're with us in person or online, uh, we're glad that you're here with us. You know, last week was a big message because it was the preview message. We talked about God's kingdom strategy to reach people on this earth. And uh, we, we previewed what we're going to be talking a lot about starting in a couple weeks here, which is pray for one. And that is going to be our theme for 2022 here at Gateway and a lot of other places. I mean, God is doing something special, and I hope that we can join on board. You know, we talked about this kingdom strategy, how God decided to plant seeds. That was the strategy. His strategy was not to drop truth bombs on this world, not to come and say, hey, I'm going to just drop a truth bomb of the gospel in a major population center because well, that would be so easy for us, right? You know, we wish that would be, that would be amazing if he did that because, well, we wouldn't have to do anything then. God just would take care of it and we wouldn't have to get awkward or uncomfortable. He would just drop this truth bomb and man, millions would come to know Jesus just like that without, without any argument or anything. They wouldn't have a choice. It would just come to Jesus. Except that's not his kingdom strategy. Instead, Jesus came and he compared the kingdom strategy to a farmer who went out to sow his seeds. And the seeds fell all over the place. He was generous. He was reckless with his seeds. He threw his seeds everywhere. He was not a good farmer because he threw his seeds on places where, well, things aren't going to grow. But he still threw his seeds there. And it got me to thinking about the least fertile field. You know, Jesus' parable, it talked about a hardened path. It talked about rocky ground. It talked about thorn-infested ground. And, and, and so those, how, those parts, they, it, they wouldn't be successful in producing a harvest. The sower knew that, yet he still threw the seeds out there. And it got me thinking about what the least fertile fields in the world are. And, and when I think of the least fertile fields, well, I don't think of places like the Napa Valley or, or the Midwestern fields where corn grows. No, to me, places that are, would be the least fertile fields would be places like Death Valley, where it seems to me that because of the climate and the soil that nothing would grow there. But when I Googled the least fertile fields in the world, well, Death Valley didn't come up. Instead, places like Suriname, a country in South America, and Greenland, which, as it turns out, isn't green after all. If you want green, you have to go to Iceland. I figure that one out. Uh, Singapore. Singapore is listed as the largest country in the world with zero farms, a place where virtually nothing grows and all of their food has to be imported. Places like the Bahamas or the Seychelles, these islands, uh, these island countries, and places like Norway, where the climate and the soil allow even less to grow. 
And it reminds me, those places remind me of the infertile places that Jesus talks about in our text this morning. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and join me in Matthew chapter 11, and I'll be there uh, to join you here in just a little bit. In this passage, Jesus talks about three places. He he talks about Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And these are places where very little faith grew. These were infertile fields for faith, especially faith in Jesus, despite the fact that they were the very places of greatest privileges, where the bulk of Jesus' miracles were performed. I mean, these are the places where thousands were miraculously fed with just a little bit of bread and, and a few fish. Places, the places where Jesus walked on water and, and calmed the storm on the water. Where, where Jesus wrangled up miraculous catches of fish, fish not fishes, fish. And, and where Jesus paid him and his and Peter's temple tax with the money that Jesus directed Peter to pull out of a fish's mouth. Places where lepers were cleansed and the blind were made to see. Where the lame were, were made to walk and where demons were cast out with just a word where the deaf were made to hear and the mute to speak, where, the whole ta- where all these towns and villages, they brought their sick to be healed by Jesus. And so many people that were there, people began to jump the line and, and break through the roof just so their friend could be the next one to be seen by Jesus. And some fought their way through the crowds thinking, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I, I-, I would be healed. And when they touched him, they were healed. And these were powerful displays of might and power. In fact, Jesus used the Greek word dunamis three times in the, in the text this morning to describe the mighty works that he performed in these three cities. Dunamis, powerful. And this is the word where we get dynamo or dynamite from. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verse, starting in verse 20. Let's read about it. Matthew writes, Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Skip down to verse 23, Jesus continues, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. These were no sleight of hand tricks that Jesus pulled off. This was no magic act. These were powerful demonstrations of might and power by Jesus. These were dunamis. These were dynamite. And they should have brought these villages to faith and to following the Lord Jesus. But they didn't. And that's why Jesus so severely denounced them. And it just goes to show that sometimes the best seat in the house isn't on the front row. And now I know I'm mixing some metaphors this morning. Hopefully you can stick with me. I started with infertile fields, and now we're talking about the theater or the auditorium. But sometimes the best seat in the house isn't on the front row. Have any, of you, have any of you been forced to watch a movie at the theater from the front row? You know, as a kid, you think, why would we not sit in the front row, Mom and Dad? I sit this close to the TV. I would love to do that at the movie. And your parents have to go, no, that's the worst seat. And you don't really understand it until you have to do it. Several years ago, when the movie Thor Ragnarok came out in theaters, uh, Ashley and I, uh, you know, this was back, you know, sometimes... It, 
you just take whatever, whatever opportunities you have as a parent to have fun, you know, because kids suck the fun out of a lot of things a lot of times, but uh, as a couple at least. But uh, we went and uh, we actually got a date night and we said, okay, we'll go to the Olive Garden and then we'll go to the movie. Now, uh, the Huntington Mall used to have $5 tickets for movies on Tuesdays. Now, I don't know if uh, that still happens because we've lost all good things in life, but uh, at one time they used to, and that's what happened back when Thor Ragnarok came out. So we went, we had dinner, and we had too much garlic bread, or too much, too many breadsticks, and so we were late getting over to the theater there at the mall, and we walk in, and we get our $5 tickets, and it had been like a month since Thor Ragnarok came out, and we thought, you know, this will be great. We'll just, we'll just casually watch this movie. And we walked in, and I promise you, whew, completely packed. Like, everybody was like, $5 Tuesday is a great time to go see this. So we go in. There's nowhere to sit except the front row all the way to the right. And so this is how I watched Thor Ragnarok, right? <laughs> just like this. Now, it was not IMAX, right? But those movie theater screens are huge when you're that close. And so you can barely tell what's happening on the other side, all the way on the other side of the movie screen. And, and so when you're watching like this the whole time, your neck gets cricked, your eyes are strained. Like, it's a bad, it's a miserable way to watch a movie. In fact, a lot of people say that Thor Ragnarok was their favorite Marvel movie. But for me, even though I've seen it since then, I always hold that experience like against it a little bit, even though it had nothing to do with the movie. Like I always hold it against it because I'm like, I remember how I first watched that movie and it was awful. Like sometimes the best seat in the house is not the front row. All right. And, and sometimes it can be that way when it comes to Jesus too, because sometimes you can be so close to the trees that you can't see the forest. And I know I'm mixing metaphors again, but it's true. And it was true for these three cities. These three cities had front row seats to not just Jesus' best preaching and teaching, but also front row seats to the bulk of Jesus' most powerful miracles. And it wasn't just one or two. They had front row seats for three and a half years. And yet, they did not repent. How was that possible? How could you hear all that he said? How could you see all that he's done and not repent? Sometimes we forget that we have his spirit inside of us and we look at these people. We long to be able to see Jesus and his miracles. Man, I wish I could have been there. That would have been so great to see these things. I mean, how great would it have been able to be an eyewitness to what Jesus was doing? Yet these people were there and they didn't repent. They didn't see Christ for who He truly was. And they were a little like their southern neighbors in that respect. Matthew records the time when Jesus struggled even in His own hometown. Matthew writes in Matthew 13.54, And coming to His hometown, He, Jesus, taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where? Where did this man get this wisdom and these what? Mighty works. There they are again. These mighty works. How, how could anyone not see Jesus for who he is after seeing all of these mighty works that he was doing? But that's exactly what happened in Nazareth where Jesus grew up and where everybody knew that he was. They didn't see Jesus as the Son of God. They saw him as the little boy that he had grown up there. I don't know if any of you have this problem 
Maybe you, you move away, you come back, and everybody still treats you like you're 14, right? You're 35 years old, you've got a great job, and everybody just wants to rub your head and say, hey, sport, you know, like, they don't give you the respect you deserve, and they weren't giving Jesus the respect he deserved either. They said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things, they said. Familiarity had bred contempt. They thought, I know this guy. This ain't the same guy. I saw him running around as a little tyke. It isn't the same guy. There's no way that this guy's special. Verse 57, and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I mean, this was Jesus' own hometown. How could they not see him for who he was? Sometimes the best seat in the house isn't on the front row. Sometimes the best seat in the house is way in the back. The seat in the back, see, it allows you to, to, to sit back and take it in and see the whole picture. And, and, and sometimes that seat, it might be at the top of the stadium. It may be farthest away from the action. You might get a nosebleed while you're there, but at least you can see everything. You can see the whole picture. And where, when you can see everything clearly in its own context, where you can leave in the third quarter and beat the traffic. Anybody ever grow up in a house that, that factored that into your game experience, Right? You, you, everything was determined upon how quickly you could get out at the end of the day, right? I, I went, and when I grew up, grew up, we went to the high school football game every Friday night. But I, I don't think that I saw the end of a football game until I was 16 and could drive myself. Because my dad was always concerned about beating the traffic from a high school football game uh, and getting home first. You know, it worked out because my high school football team was awful uh, for many years, many, many years. And so the game was usually over by the fourth quarter anyway. But man, over the years, I became very skilled at, at the, ha the art of the half sprint through the crowd that required me to keep up with my dad as he like power marched on our trek back to the car that was parked all the way strategically at the end of the parking lot so we could beat the traffic home, right? And I got to say, we never got stuck in the traffic, but I also never saw the end of the game, right? We could have the greatest play in Ohio high school football history could have happened, and we would have been on the way home. Uh, you know, that progressive commercial now is out about don't become your parents, and that speaks to me on another level because, like, that is my life. We're like, well, do you think we should, where should we, when should we leave? Let's just get inside the stadium first. If that's you or if it's not, the truth is sometimes the best seat truly is in the back. Sometimes the best, that's the best vantage point from which to see something and truly understand what's going on. And that's what I'm hoping you and I can see this morning. That we are not disadvantaged by not getting to live in the first century and see Jesus face to face and hear him with our ears. That's what those early witnesses of the Lord Jesus saw in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. And guess what? It didn't bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus. Instead, they became the perfect examples of John 1.11 that says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. See, that's the people of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and, and Capernaum. John 1.12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right 
to become children of God. And that is you and I and a couple other billion believers on this planet. People who get to sit on the back row of history and put all these mighty works that we've seen into context, who didn't get to see some of the things that the people on the front row got to see, but guess what? We get to believe. And believing, believing Trump's seen and not believing in any age. Let me say that again. Not seen and believing. Trump's seen and not believing in any age. And that's why I thank the Lord that I wasn't born in the first century. And I didn't get to see Jesus with my own eyes. Because what if I were one of the Pharisees, one of the people who got to see and got to hear, but didn't believe? Believing Trump's seen any day. Now there are those of us in this room who were born into Christian homes. And what a privilege it is to be raised in a Christian home with a Christian mom and a Christian dad, Christian brothers and sisters. You went to church every week whether you liked it or not, but you were learning about Jesus all the time. There, there are those of us that were raised in Christian churches who were given our first Bibles before we could even read them, before we could even understand that it was missing the Old Testament. You, you were taught the story of Jesus as far back as you can remember. And most of us today, we have access to the internet and to digital tools and translations and libraries and research at the beck and call of our fingertips. With the press of a button, we can be digitally transported to the archaeological remains of just about any biblical site. We can sit down, we can watch modern day adaptations of the life of Jesus, things like The Chosen. I mean, how can we say that we have not been given the best seat in the house? Such blessing causes some of us to come to faith in Christ and commit our lives to following Him at a very young age. A decision many of us never give up on or never regret. But there are others of us who may not have been raised in a Christian home. You know what? That's okay. Because you found a new home in Christ, in His church. You are enjoying a fellowship you never dreamed of having. You have a small group that you belong to. You're doing life with others. You're supporting and loving one another. Look, my small group sat on the front row today. That's how much they support me. I love my small group because it, you know, this is why small groups are so amazing. You can have friends that come around you and they support you and you just talk about life. I, I got a confession to make. We don't always do the questions in my small group because we're too busy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can't look at the elders on this other. No, because we're too busy praying for each other and having fun together and just talking about life together that sometimes... We get to the end and we only have time for one question. And you know what? If I'm here next week, this means they agree, but I think that that's okay, okay? Like, I think it's okay just to get together and have fun together and do life together. Small groups and having a group to be in is, is just incredible. But you're here and you're, you're in a group. You're, you're beginning to get to know Jesus better. You're soaking in all, of the, all this knowledge of Jesus that you have been missing. You've begun believing in Jesus with us. You're becoming a closer follower of Jesus with us. You're jumping in and joining us and building His kingdom on this earth. And you're loving it. You're loving getting to know more and getting to see more and getting to be a part of more. You wouldn't trade the seat that you've been given in the Lord's house for anything in the world. And that's because the best seat in the house is always whatever seat leads to faith in Jesus. I don't know what seat that might have been for you. We all have different seats. But I know what seat it hasn't been. It hasn't been the front row seat of first century history in a little Roman outpost on the western coast of the Mediterranean 
amongst the three prominent fishing villages on the northern slope of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus performed the bulk of his miracles. And you know what? That's okay. In fact, that's better than okay because a lot of those folks sitting on those front row seats just wanted Jesus to do stuff for them. They just wanted Jesus to come and make my life better. Help me out here, God. He was like a genie to them. And they never really came to faith in him. They never really committed to following him. And they never repented of their sin. They never began living for him like many of you have. And like many of you still can. Many of you sit in such an advantage seat. I hope you see it. And a seat where you can look around and take a second look at Jesus. Look at who he was and what he did and what he's coming to do again. And I got to tell you, it, it never hurts to take a second look. That's what we'd all be wise to do this morning. Take a good, hard second look at Jesus from these greatly advantaged seats that we sit in and see if you can't see Jesus for who he is. As you know, we believe strongly here in apologetics at Gateway and at defending our faith. And part of that is because we want to encourage you to take a second look at Jesus. Sometimes as Christ followers, we're afraid to take that second look because what if we find something out that, that scares us? What if we find something out or we, we think about something that causes us to doubt him or to, to have questions about him? But here's the thing, friends, questions and doubts are okay. And you want to know why? Because the God that I follow, the Savior of my life, Jesus, they can handle any questions or doubts that I might have. Because if they are the truth, at the end of the day, all roads will eventually lead back to them. They can handle your doubts and questions. So let's take a second look at Jesus. Bertrand Russell was a famous atheist who was once asked if, what he would say if he ever met God face to face. And his response supposedly was, not enough evidence, sir. Not enough evidence. As if every rock we turn over should have a sticker that says, made by God. Or the stars in the heavens should spell out John 3.16 every night if God would truly expect us to believe in him. Well, guess what? It's not going to be that easy. But the heavens do declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, for those sitting in our advantaged chairs who are willing to make the effort to take a second look. And we are expected to make that effort to take a second look. Jesus said, to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And our text this morning began with, began with a denunciation. Matthew tells us that Jesus said in 11 verse 20, that Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. These were plush, prosperous fishing villages in Jesus' day. Privileged to have such a front row seat to the bulk of Jesus' miracles. But denounced by Jesus for not taking a serious second look at who he was and what he came to do. And today, these places are nothing but archaeological ruins. And that's what's coming. And worse, for, the, for those of us sitting in even more privileged seats today, who could have, who should have, who would have taken a second look at Jesus if only they had known the future denunciation that was coming when Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. I said this morning, may each of us take a good, hard second look at Jesus. 
Take a second look at who he is. Take a second look at what he did for us. And take a second look at what he's coming to do again. And then choose to repent and follow him. Years ago, the author Francis Chan wrote something that has stuck with me ever since. And I want to share it with you today. Uh, he, he wrote that, you know, often, at least for me, I don't know about for you, but often I look, I read through the Old Testament, and I see the, the amazing things that God did. He talked to Moses through a burning bush. He, he made a, a donkey talk. Like, he talked from rocks. Like, you see all these things. You see all these prophets from the Old Testament, and you think, man, if only I could hear from God like these people do. Like the audible voice coming from God. How great would that be? And we flip over to the New Testament and we look at people like Peter and we're like, man, how, how great would it be to be at Jesus' right hand every day for three and a half years? You get to see his miracles. You get to hear his teaching. You get to see him. How great would that be? And you think, man, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to ask them. I can't wait to ask Moses or Peter, like, what was that like? What was it like to be with God? What was it like to be with Jesus all the time like that and see him? Except when we get there, it won't be us coming to them. But we're then coming to us and say, man, what was it like? What was it like to have the Spirit of God living inside of you every single day? What was that like? Man, I had to wait. I, I waited for God to come. I, I, I would be out there wandering forever. I could never hear the voice of God. He would just show up whenever he wanted to. I would wait and I would wait. Or, or maybe I'd wait for Jesus to wake up in the morning. I had so many questions. We were so busy doing things. I couldn't enjoy him. I couldn't be there with him. And then he was just gone. What was it like for you to know that you wake up every morning and you have the Spirit of the living God living inside of you, a Spirit that Jesus said was greater than him. He had to leave so the Spirit could come and live inside of each one of us. As Christ's followers, we are promised the Spirit of God living inside of us. And so let us be grateful. Let us not yearn for times that are back in the first century. Not, let us not yearn for the Old Testament. Let us live in the now with the Spirit inside of us. We're talking about pray for one. We're talking about sowing seeds. Man, let's let the Spirit work inside of each one of us and realize how great a power we have in living inside. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning that we can gather together, be here in your presence and know that, th that your spirit is living inside of us. Let us be grateful. Grateful for what we have. Not look for the, the grass that's greener on the other side. Not yearn for other things. But let's realize how advantaged we truly are to be at this point in history. Where we can look back at all that you've done over the course of history. Put it all into context. And realize how great you truly are. Father, we thank you so much that you allow us to be a part of what you're doing for your kingdom. That you've given us the gift of your spirit inside. And I pray that we would be grateful for that. We would realize how, how advantaged we are in this time. That we get to live with your spirit inside of us. We don't have to wait to hear from you. You're just there all the time. Father, I pray that we would not take that for granted. That we would not ever forget that. But that we would try to reach new people for your son Jesus. That we would try to show the love of Jesus to people with the confidence that your spirit is living inside of us. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that you sent your, your one and only son, Jesus, to die for each one of us, that our sins would be forgiven and we would have eternal life. And Father, I pray that we would look 
to sow seeds wherever it takes that other people would know that love as well. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and for your love and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've come this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, that relationship that puts him as the king of your life, the Lord of your life, over all of your life, I would encourage you to come and talk about that decision today. It's the greatest decision that you could make. And we talk about how his spirit lives inside of us. His spirit lives inside of those who have accepted him and are followers of his, who have come and said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to be baptized and become a new creation in him. And so if you've never made that decision, then you don't have, you're doing life alone. You don't have the spirit of God living inside of you. And worse yet, without Jesus, this is all that we have. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And without accepting Him, without making Him the King of your life, then the future isn't as bright as it could be. It's not bright at all. But for us, for those that have accepted Him, for those that do accept Him and follow Him, He is truly the light at the end of the tunnel. So if you haven't made that decision yet, man, I'd love to talk to you this morning. I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to accept him and to be baptized into him. If you've already made that decision, though, and you just need some prayer right now, and things are really hitting you hard, and life is hard right now, it's, man, it is, it, there are weeks that it just hits harder than, than others. But God has given us the gift of prayer to come to him and say, God, I, I give it all over to you. I don't know what the answers are, but I, I trust you with whatever's going on in my life. If that's you this morning, man, come up front. I'd love to pray with you and just bring God into whatever situation that might be going on. So if you have a decision to make or just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. But I just ask that we all stand and sing our final song together.